what was your first serious band? I mean, you know, the first one, you know, is usually kind of like, you know, you're in the waiting pool and kind of testing the waters, but like your real first serious one where you were like, yeah, let's promote this. Let's see how this band can get to a certain point. Yeah, not just dipping the toe. Right. You know, after that first band, we had our, our first kid right around then, and uh, our second one was going to be on the way pretty shortly after that. So when we moved to Kenosha, we um, we were expecting the second one, that's right. So I kind of laid off the band thing for a little while. I was in a friend's band. I played bass for him, and he was fantastic. Learned a lot about music and banding from him. But then took on another job, and as I was working there, I... I put together a couple albums um, to do, start. I really wanted to focus on, I knew the Dave Matthews thing that I was trying to do, that the would-be, has-been thing, wasn't working. It wasn't me. And so I spent uh, the next two, three years working on my own style. First, my musical style, and then secondly, developing. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach Fell. Thanks, Dean. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week, we have Ben Harold. Ben Harold is an American singer-songwriter, musician, and multi-instrumentalist who has combined rock, folk, and soul elements to create a unique yet familiar sound that draws people into his soulful song and well-crafted music. Whether playing solo or with his extremely talented band, The Rising, he's known for putting on shows that are filled with energy, passion, and connection with the audience. They are also a 2020 whammy Wisconsin area music industry nominee for new artist of the year. Well, we had a great conversation with Ben. I'd like to get right into it. Hey, Ben. How are you? Good. I've been looking forward to this all week. Been listening to your music and reading about you. Let's have the audience kind of get to know you a little bit. How did you get started in music? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's, I guess, a little cliche, but I think um, as soon as I heard my first record as a kid, you know. Which one was that? Uh, I can't remember exactly which one it was. I just remember my folks had a, a, a record player in the house and there was constantly music was being played. You know, we, we had good music, what I would call good music, some Tom Petty, Traveling Wilburys. My, my dad liked those guys. My mom liked them too. My dad loved the Moody Blues. Um, I, I didn't necessarily get into them but i just remember hearing all this stuff and it was just soundscape and, and I, it always caught my attention and you, i i didn't just hear music i could hear the parts of music i could hear what the keyboard was doing or what the synth was doing i didn't know what to call it but i could hear what it was doing and i i just love that the blending of of good sound together with other good sound i understood the concept of a band just by listening to the album and so my introduction into music was just being a kid listening to this stuff and getting blown away. 
uh, not realizing that that's really what I, it was like imprinting on me what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, a little mirrors pretty much kind of how I grew up when I was growing up too. My dad, who is a musician himself, songwriter and drummer, I would hear like WKLH back when I was growing up. That was the rock music that he would listen to all the time. And I kind of grew up on the same kind of stuff. Tom Petty and, you know, Jimi Hendrix and in all the 60s, 70s and a whole bunch of different stuff that he would call, you know, the good music. You know, he tried to instill on me. When did you kind of start deciding that you wanted to play an instrument? Yeah, um, well, I mean, we had a piano in our basement and I used to kind of play around on that a little bit. And uh, my mom, she could play a little and she played guitar, and, uh, and years later, I think I was in high school, uh, or just about to go into high school, she had a guitar that she was borrowing, and it was just sitting around the house. She wasn't doing a whole lot with it. And I would just go over to it occasionally and start kind of plucking around on it and not really knowing what I was doing or how to play it. But I just remember being really interested in it, and she kind of she saw that little glint in my eye, I think, and, and started pushing me, kind of nudging me down that road. And Yeah. I had like a little keyboard as a kid that, you know, if you played more than one note on it, it would negate the sound. It would, <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't really much, but I could, I could hear sounds, I could hear songs like, you know, as a kid, you're watching Star Wars or Ninja Turtles or something, and I could play those tunes on the, oh, okay. And, um, and so when it came time to be, you know, really interested in the guitar, she saw that and, and kind of encouraged me, and, and it wasn't long. I think within a couple of years, I had my own guitar, and just was, I think, four hours a day, every day of the week, playing on that thing, doing everything I could. It it was like, you know, you know, it's like you find that one instrument that, um, there's a million instruments, right? But you pick one up, all of a sudden it just connects with you. Mm -hmm. And it was it was just that, you know, could have could have sat behind the drums or could have played keyboard, but none of them quite connected with me the way that the guitar did. It just, it felt like it was a part of me like that I'd never found or had lost it just it was there it was a missing piece right and then um who did you gravitate towards to you know like emulate or kind of inspire you as you're playing guitar and learning yeah I, it's funny because I, I I there wasn't one but I um, as I look back at it now because I teach guitar lessons now and I have to actually think about what I'm doing or what I'm saying and where I got ideas from. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about that when I was learning. And I think that's because uh, now looking back at it, I realized that for me, learning music was, it, it, it was all feel. It was, it was all to do with when I heard a sound, did it feel the same way when I played it? And it had nothing to do with theory. In the end, it wound up becoming guitar theory, but yeah. kind of the back door. But I, I remember I would listen to, wouldn't be a particular person, but if I heard a song that had a particular strum, I would sit and work on that until I could mimic that strum and I could figure out what he was doing just by listening to that song on a, on a CD. Or if it was a, a, a particular chord that I'd never heard before, I'd work real hard at trying to figure out how to do that chord to make that voicing. Now, I didn't know what the word voicing meant. I didn't know right, what right. it necessarily was, but just trying to figure out all of that stuff, because I, I was learning before there was really the internet to help you with like guitar tabs and chords and all that stuff. Yeah. Just starting, and, and it wasn't great. So a lot of it, it was just feel. I wanted to feel that I could get the same sound tone that I was hearing from an album, whether you know it was a strum or it was the amount of pressure I was putting into a strum. Uh, or just chords and, and stuff like that, you know, it was all feel, it was all feel. So you're analyzing, assessing, and keep on going at it until it sounded as close as possible to what you were hearing in, in your head, basically. Yeah, it was uh, wanting to hear the sound that I heard in my head, 
just physically brought to life. And uh, I had this stupid theory, <laughs> as, you know, as all teenagers think, I, I could do anything. Um, I, I just sat there and went, you know, a long time ago, somebody invented this instrument and had to figure out how to play it from scratch. So why can't I? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, maybe it was a little arrogant at the time, probably was. But at the same time, that was my approach to it. Like, I wasn't going to let anything get in my way to learn. I, I just felt like if I was, if anything was going to get in the way, it would be myself. So it was yeah. the way of saying, there's no excuse. It's right there for you. Go do it. So it sounds like your parents were positive in you working on the guitar. My folks, uh, they got divorced when I was about nine. Both of them with guitar, with music, are, are still to this day super positive. They, they, I think in some ways I'm living, they're living a little vicariously through me. Um, my mom certainly, who had always wanted to be, uh, or always wanted to play, always loved, she, she really enjoys it and I think she's really happy and proud about that. And my dad too, he's, uh, he thinks it's pretty cool. He's, he, he never would have guessed that his kids would have, at least one of his kids would have been out there making music in a band and you know having fun and some success with it cool cool your first band that you played in how did you get to that point from practicing to that first band um the, my first band was i was in early college and <laughs> we, i had written some songs and it was they weren't i think i was trying to be as dave matthews as possible because i mean playing acoustic guitar in the in the late 90s uh, mid to late 90s early 2000s you're still you just that that's who you emulate you wanted yep. to be dave matthews. And, and you could learn so much from just playing one of his songs um and so i had this weird mish, mismatch, mishmash of my style that would be developed over time to what it is now with this wannabe Dave Matthews sound. So the music wasn't great. The songs were not my own necessarily in that sense. Uh, but, I, you know, it was fun. And, and I had a friend who lived really close. He was a bass player, you know, kind of grew up playing like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Foo Fighters. And he, he fit pretty well right into what we were doing. And, you know, it was like gradually another guy we'd know who played drums or a friend who played violin. We were like, oh, well, okay, let's do something. <laughs> and, you know, we, we started playing. We played a little. It wasn't it wasn't a lot. We didn't do a whole lot of shows. I think I did more acoustic shows with, or just the bass player and I. But um, first band, yeah, it was kind of just muddled together over the course of a few years and we never really did anything with it. It was fun. Um, but certainly, uh, I wound up moving, and that sort of broke the whole thing up. But it was a good learning experience. It was fun to do, and it was my introduction into, okay, how do I manage this well? Moving yeah. So Dave Matthews, big influence on you. Yeah, a little bit. I, I'd say uh, his Live at Luther, the acoustic thing, was it was mind-blowing for what an acoustic guitar could do, or uh, just two, two acoustic guitars. Until that point, I hadn't really experienced power of a singular, a singular instrument on a song. Yeah. I think in I, I, every acoustic guitar player that I had known that I know now, that album alone just really blew their mind open. It's funny, I, I started on acoustic, I play a lot of electric guitar now, but um, yeah, when, when I first was learning, it was, it was so mind-blowing that, yeah, how could it not affect the way that you thought about your instrument and, and what the power of you and a guitar could do? Yeah, there are so many artists out there that just can wield a great song with just a guitar in their voice. You mentioned that you moved. Did you move from a different state or just a different part of Wisconsin? Yeah, no, just a different part of Wisconsin. I've, I've been around the state my whole life. Um, I was living in uh, La Crosse when that first band was formed. And, uh, and then I moved to Kenosha after that for a short stint. 
And so I, I'm originally from Milwaukee. And then uh, when my folks got divorced, my mom and four of us moved up to Door County and lived on Washington Island. Out of Oh, okay. So I, I actually graduated high school there and then went to college in La Crosse and then lived there for like six, seven years. And going back to your first band, was there like a gig that was like horrendous? Like it was just like, this is like the worst thing ever? Never the gigs. The gigs were always fairly decent. We didn't do a lot of them. Um, and again, most of them were just like me and my bass player. We had fun. Um, I would say what was horrendous was looking back at it. I knew I wasn't, I wasn't as good as I could be. I hadn't put the time and work in, in my guitaring and then also in my, my especially I'd say more so in my, my singing. My, my vocals were not great. And I really hadn't thought about how much work I should put into that or how to develop that. So if there was a bad aspect about any of the shows back then, I cringe at listening to anything that I sing. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the, the stuff in a, in a box under my bed. And I'm, yeah. song's kind of creative, you know, and I would never play it again. But boy, the singing is just garbage. Yeah. I hear back and stuff when I was just getting out of high school and when I was playing, when I played sax back then, and I was just like, oh, uh-huh. it's just, I got to put some more. I'm glad I put more time into it after that because. Absolutely. What was your first serious band? I mean, you know, the first one, you know, is usually kind of like, you know, you're in the waiting pool and kind of testing the waters. But like your real first serious one where you were like, yeah, let's promote this. Let's see how this band can get to a certain point. Yeah, not just dipping the toe. Right. You know, after that first band, we had our, our first kid right around then. And uh, our second one was going to be on the way pretty shortly after that. So when we moved to Kenosha, we um, we were expecting the second one. That's right. So I kind of laid off the band thing for a little while. I was in a friend's band. I played bass for him, and he was fantastic. Learned a lot about music and banding from him. But then took on another job, and as I was working there, I, I put together a couple albums to do, start. I really wanted to focus on, I knew the Dave Matthews thing that I was trying to do, that the would-be, has-been thing wasn't working it wasn't me and so i spent the next two three years working on my own style first my musical style and then secondly developing my vocal style so each of those albums which i know you can't really find them anyway they were for me kind of to work out all that stuff um so i really didn't do anything band wise until about six years ago i had been working as a, a music director at, at a, through a church it was, you know Perfect job for a musician, right? And a friend of mine who was part of that, he had been talking with a friend of his that I kind of knew, and another, actually two friends of his that I kind of knew, and they had a 90s band they were going to put together. Basically, a bunch of guys that just wanted to play together for the fun of it, not practice a whole lot, play songs they grew up on and loved. And they, they didn't think originally that I had the time to do it, but he knew I was kind of like struggling. I, I was struggling with the job I had. I didn't really want to do it anymore. And... Um, he's like, hey, why don't you be a part of this thing? And even though we were kind of laid back about our approach to it, as musicians, we were dead serious about how we sounded. I've been, I'm still in that, that 90s cover band, Throwback Stereo, and um, these guys are phenomenal musicians, all, all of them. And uh, 
to, to play together and learn from each other. That band, as, as loose as we are, musicality-wise, we are a serious band. We know what to do. We know how to listen. We know how to play together. That was my first introduction into it. And honestly, this band that I have now, that's we're putting out this music and recording, this is my second ever band, officially, okay. as far as original music goes. And it's, just, it's the same approach. Everything I learned from this 90s band and everything I learned from the original first band, all of that, and, and from the two albums that I worked on just by myself, all of that kind of conglomerated into this giant thing that I learned how to, how to be a band manager, how to be a, a good artist, how to be a, um, a good band member, and, and also just to be a good songwriter and singer those things all kind of came together. So not a whole lot of band experience, but I'd say quality over quantity. Yeah. And it's really helped me grow as a musician. Still does. Good, good. People that are listening to what you're saying, what advice would you give them that you've learned so far about keeping a band together and getting yourself promoted and into gigs? Yeah, well, they're, they're, that's almost two whole different parts of it all. Right. There's the, the, uh, the business side and then there's the and the management side, and then there's the the uh, fun stuff that you get to do. And I say the fun stuff's probably about maybe twenty percent. And then the business management, you're on eighty percent. The best advice I can give is first of all, work hard and be nice. You know, work hard, don't be a dick, and and get you a million miles down the road. Second part is be good at what you do. You know, be relentlessly good. You never are uh, accepting sort of less for yourself. You you always have to keep growing. And listen, I, if you want to talk about band management, the best thing you can do is listen. Listen to people who have been there. Listen to your band. Listen to other business leaders that know what to do, how to how to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You just gotta listen and work hard and, and be a good person. That that's a huge part of every part of those things. I totally agree. Definitely, no one wants to deal with an asshole. No, no, and that's it's that's it. You, I've, I've, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna say names or anything, but I've, I've met phenomenal musicians with questionable character. Yep. And you don't want to call on them. You know, as we've been able to book shows and bring other bands in with us, or just as I've met other venue owners or promoters, things like that, I I share friends' names all the time, but there's certain people that I, I probably won't share their name. Right. Because it makes such a huge difference. You don't want to work with them, and you don't want no, to put that on the connections you've made because it hurts you. Right, exactly. Yeah, you don't want someone to ruin your reputation because you sent them the wrong person yeah well don't get me wrong i'd say 99 percent of the people you meet in this business is it's like a family yeah and they're great people and will give you the shirt off their back if you can be like that be like that that's all i'm saying i agree yeah you know be personal i mean it's all about building relationships and if you can't build a relationship then you have no business being in in the business yeah yeah honestly you won't go far no You'll have too many things in the way. Let's talk about the band you're in now. Why don't you give us the history behind it? Sure. I was, obviously then I was in that 90s band. And the bass player in the band, a guy named Peter Carlson, he has a great setup in his house for recording. And he wanted to play. He wanted to tinker. And he knew I had some tunes. We had tried doing something together maybe like a year before this point. And it was, I just didn't feel like it was what I wanted it to be. I wasn't quite there yet. And so I set it aside. We had recorded a couple tunes, just scratch, and uh, I set it aside. I think a year later, he knew I had a couple of tunes. I think I had like six six or seven tunes, something like that. And he goes, you know, 
why don't you just come in and let's put something down? This would have been probably 2018, 2017. The first song that you're, ta you're talking about, did that make it to your album? Um, well, I mean, there were a couple of, there was one tune from the thing that we had thrown away that wound up making it to the album. Which one was that? So that song uh, is called Falling River. That's on, on our album, Solace.
it was this incident where he he just said, "Come on over and re let's record something. We'll do an EP." I'm like, "Okay, that's fine. We'll I'll come over." I had that Thursday off. I was going to come in on a Friday, and that Thursday before, I sat down and it just clicked. And I I wrote six or seven songs in that afternoon. And so I went into his studio. I had 13 or 14 tunes, and I said, "Well, let's do an LP." <laughs> and I went, "Okay." And at the, I didn't think anything band-wise. I just did, I did the album. And as we went along, I said, well, I'd like this guy to play drums on it. And, and he'd say, well, I think this guy should play this. And the, you know, he, produced, he produced a great album, and I really had a good time. But coming out of that, I decided to start playing those tunes live. And as I played them live by myself, acoustically, open, first at open mics and then gradually my own shows, I started to bring in some people to play with me, the drummer. And, you know, and it grew... And then I, I, I really decided at that point, I really want to make this an official, let's get a band together, let's put this together. And who's the people I ideally want to work, to work, work with here? Who's the drummer I want? Who's the bass player I want? Who's the guitarist I want? And every single one of those guys uh, either had nothing going on or was like ready to jump into it. And they all said yes. <laughs> is this the, the Solace album that you're talking about, or is there a one before that? No, Solace is the is the first. There is nothing before that. That's the first one for for me. That was prior to. I'd say that's pre-band. The drummer off of that album, Joe Howard, is is the drummer now. But yeah, other than him, the rest were good friends of mine, great musicians that came in uh, and and put down their parts. This new album I'm working on now uh, has the uh, the touring band playing on it. With the Rising is the name of the band. Um, and that's Joe Howard on drums, uh, Ken Zabler on uh, lead guitar, Carl Crumbless on bass, and Dan Colasari on keys, piano keys. And these guys just are phenomenal musicians and have expanded the writing and the music so much more than I could have imagined. So it's just, it's really blossomed. We were going to, we, you know, started maybe two years ago now with the full band. We were set to have a great year, and like everybody else, right? And kind of, but it's great to to be able to say like uh, one year in, and this band is nominated for New Artist of the Year for a Whammy. That's how that tells you how good these guys are. Yeah, and just what they've done with this music. Yeah, this band, uh, I can't wait for people to be able to hear them live again, hear us all live again, because this music is. Uh, it's big when these guys play. Yeah. Harkens back, you know, been listening to some of this old Tom Petty live stuff. We're not, obviously, this is, there's no comparison to the E Street or the Heartbreakers, but, you know, when you're playing live and you feel there's just a touch of that in your band and there's that bigness there. Yeah, yeah. That magic, yeah, for sure. Magic, it's yep. absolutely magic. And these guys help me have that. It's beautiful. Awesome. Have you released like any singles off this album that you're talking about? Yeah. So we we did release a single. Um, it's an acoustic version. Although my uh, electric guitarist Ken uh, plays plays a little bit on it, and then he also sings some harmonies on it too. So it's a song called "Just a Ghost." Excellent. And I think we will use that one as the very last song at the end of the podcast. So we'll let that play out. Why don't we talk about a couple songs off of your Solus album? Yeah, uh, Ramble and Roll. Tell us the story behind Ramble and Roll. Envisioning, for Ramble and Roll, I was just envisioning uh, sort of this vagabond. And in fact, that's the first word of the song. Um, just a home, without a home, kind of just wandering and observing all around just the things that are going on in life. And it's sort of this idea of like, you just got to keep moving, keep moving through life. You know, you'll find your home eventually. Um, it wasn't 
really more than that. It was this idea of maybe in the time uh, not feeling real settled in my own career or where I was going to go with music at that moment. Maybe it was a little bit introspective and just wondering where am I going to be, what am I going to do. Yeah. You know, I wound up becoming sort of that, that theme in, my, in, in this album without really realizing it because the subconscious always comes out whether or not you, <laughs> you want it to. So yeah, nothing more than that really, I, but it, it grew, it blossomed. comes round we sell your soul
And that is Ramble and Roll by Ben Harold off his Solace album. Excellent job. Very, very powerful. Very soulful. So, Ben, let's talk about another song off of Solace. What else do you have for us? With Lost Myself, again, I was, I think, I was literally sitting on a chair in my lawn looking up at the, the trees above me and the sun coming through the leaves. And that wound up being the first verse. I just had this this tune in my head I couldn't get out. I really liked how it sounded. Nice progression, thoughtful progression. And it sounded good with the harmonica, so I really liked playing through that. And then I just wrote those words because it was what I was doing. And it's it's just funny, like you, t- you talked about magic before. And I think there's the same thing in songwriting. There's a magic to it. Once you get the ball rolling, there's some sort of thing that just clicks. And it just, it's almost like the gate unhinges and everything comes pouring out. And that song, it's funny how it started with just this sort of non-line, just kind of filler line that I thought sounded nice, and turned this song into the story of, of a person who's um, sort of found themselves in a place where they're, they're looking back at their life, they're looking at their family, and they're realizing some of the mistakes they made. Uh, and maybe then they realize they're in a mistake right now. They're kind of not in a good place. And that moment of clarity, they realize, oh, I lost myself again. Um, and the little bit older I grow, the more I know that. Um, so it's sort of an idea of like looking back a little bit at life and realizing the foolishness of my of of this character's youth, of of where they are in that moment, and the mistakes that they've kind of fallen into. Um, again, it's not the end of the story, but I wanted to focus on that one moment. Yeah. And I love what my uh, my uh, Brandon Matthews is the guy who mixed the song. He 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 really took the song, and the way he explained it to me is how I hear it too is. It's kind of like if you envision a, 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 this person on a stage playing a guitar with a harmonica. And as the song goes, the curtains are slowly pulled back, and there's a couple more people standing back there with instruments. And then by the end, the whole thing's wide open, and there's a huge 20-piece band up there, you know, crescendo. And it was just this, I kind of think it just tied it all together, musically, lyrically. I'm really happy with the way it came out. I, I, so first song we mixed for that album too. First one that we settled on. Excellent. Well then, let's play it. Again. 
win Thinking of my life And the family that found me How many times have I asked them to fend talk about the recording process for you what's your mindset when you sit down to get ready to record i think it's different depending on what you're recording and where or what kind of projects you're working on this first album solace i didn't even know i was recording it for any other purpose than for myself when i first started it i think about halfway through that changed so the mentality going into that was just play some songs get them down make them sound as good as possible okay now let's bring in some more musicians and we'll see what this could become. Then by the end, it was like, wow, this shit's pretty good. <laughs> um, with this album, a different process completely. We wanted to be all together in a room. We wanted the most live-sounding album. We wanted to change a little bit, a little more electric guitar heavy. Um, same, you know, f- you know, and a, l- a little bit more on the rock side of things, less on the folk still have some of that in there um but the live feel we wanted to have that we knew we needed to have live drums if we weren't going to keep the instruments we could go back over and just redo those parts but we needed that live feel we and then we also through the process met dan who's our keyboardist we wanted him to have a major role in this album and 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 center it centered around that piano sound that keyboard sound um and that's just really opened it up i can't wait for people to hear it um and then 
I'm already kind of thinking ahead a couple of, we've, we've actually wrote about, I wrote about 18, 20 songs. Uh, COVID really hurt us in the uh, recording process, but we did get 10 down and we need only to record one more because we know it has to be on that album. But now we have got a chunk of other songs that we know we can tackle in the coming year uh, for another album. But also I'm thinking ahead to kind of a Nebraska-esque album. So Springsteen's Nebraska. Right. There's something about that. I've always been interested in doing my own album like that. So I think that's down the pike. And that's a different process too. You know, you're just a much more personal, very minimalistic, one mic, here's what you got. Yeah. Just do it. So there's so many different ways to approach it. I think it matters. The, what matters the most is the project you're doing. In fact, Springsteen was talking about it recently when he's writing albums for the band, for the E Street Band or when he's writing a solo album. The mentality for him is even in the writing is, is that like when you're writing for yourself, it's a lot more colloquial. It's more of that center of the earth, center of the country kind of feel where you're, you're writing more of that, right in that individual American experience. And when you're writing with the band, it's some of these larger ideas that are a little bit more broad and the song style and lyrically, it, it, it fits a different mold. So yeah, definitely the project determines, I think, the approach to the project yeah you've talked about what you were doing before COVID hit obviously we are talking now about what you're doing while COVID is running rampant unfortunately the answer is not much yeah exactly <laughs> i mean you're writing songs i take it and practicing and teaching lessons as you said yeah what are the top three things you want to do once the pandemic is under control and we can actually go out and do stuff i just want to get back out on the on the stage uh, as many as we can get. Yeah, I want to. I want to enjoy a good summer of music. I want to enjoy a, a fest season with with the band. You know, we had a great one lined up. We were gonna we were gonna play Summerfest on the Miller Lite stage. We were gonna play Bastille Days. And and I don't want to lament those too badly because you know everybody got hurt. Everybody right. missed out, and they missed out too. So those are just things I'm really looking forward to doing again. Really, just being in front of people without feeling weird about it. Mm -hmm. Where I'm being very cognizant now about being responsible and not going out too much and playing certain places. I, I will love the day when I don't have to think about that again. Yeah. And then also being in the same room with my band to record an album or just run rehearsals for some things and, and just enjoy that time. Really miss, miss that. Or just hanging out at each other's homes after the fact or yep. without playing music, grabbing a scotch. and mm -hmm. each other. Those are the things. I mean, it all has to do with people, right? In our own way. Where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, I see myself in bigger stages in five years. <laughs> I mean, to be like cocky, but I no. It's not a. It's not a. I'm this good. It's a. I have goals, and I'm good at getting to those goals, and I'm not going to stop. I'm pretty relentless at that. So, yeah, I, I think I think I see I see a me and my band on on larger stages. What that means is more people are being able to hear this music, which I think they will like and they will enjoy. Yeah. I see at least two or three more albums at that point, hopefully a couple more. So yeah, I, I that's where I see it. And I, I think it's achievable. Good. No dreams, set goals. So what do you think is suppressing the music scene? And what do you think is helping it get to the limelight? Okay, that's a great question. I do have some observ observations. I have enjoyed watching the, I'll say this first, the, the Milwaukee music scene specifically has changed quite a bit. Pl having now played in the cover band for six years and playing an original band, I actually make more money in the original band, or was when we were consistently playing. And my band, I was able to pay them as much uh, consistently as we ever got in the, in the cover scene. So I will say that that is a really good trend. 
it, I think Milwaukee is enjoying original music more. Wisconsin as a whole, I think, is enjoying original music more. Good. Let's keep that going. I'm yes. great with that. Nothing against cover bands. Let's get some more original music out there. Right. No, cover is great. I mean, uh, we have fun with that. We yeah. have some really great shows. But, you know, my the electric guitarist in the cover band is uh, Tim Wright of Blind Fiction. Their band is amazing. I know he loves doing that probably a lot more than, you know, but we enjoy playing with each other and the cover thing works. But I would say uh, negative wise, I don't notice it as much, but I know for a while you would have these situations where, and maybe the whole COVID thing will just change it all, but you would have people coming in and saying, hey, we'll do this show for free or cheap. Yeah. And that just hurts everybody else. Yeah. Then you get a, uh, you know, you get a band in there that, you know, they're retired or they just, they have their own money. You don't have to worry about it. And they're hurting everybody else who's trying to do this for a living because then that just knocks down the market price. I think it's, I always say to, to other musicians who are trying to make it that you got to know your value, you got to set your price because you can't just accept that as a fact, as a reality. Yeah. I've had, I've had venues say to me, well, if you want to play, you know, if you want us to book you at that price, maybe you should check out Shank Hall, you know? Like, well, I'll invite you when we play there. Right. It's just one of those things where the value of, of live entertainment, uh, there's so much working against it. You've got these cheap streaming services that are making their money, and we're making nothing off of it. Mm -hmm. And the mentality for people is, oh, music's just there. You can get it wherever you want. You can bring in a DJ. And not to, you know, mock, you know, anything or say anything against dj but you know if they can come in and book a show for this one guy and it's a lot cheaper you know it, it hurts kind of everybody else i would encourage djs to charge more bring it up to the price of a full band mm -hmm. you know um they can make some more money then too helps everybody i you know just to say that i would love to see the mentality that music is just this thing that comes out of nowhere and is readily available because it, it negates the fact that there's so much hard work there and there's so much blood sweat and money that the artist puts into it to make this creation. You'd like to see that reciprocate back. And I think, for the most part, it does. You can find the right places, the right venues, and you can see that happen. Right. I mean, it's like a painting. I mean, the artist spends months and months working on an original piece of art, hang it up and do a gallery, you know, do a show, the price should reflect how much like how much work they're putting in. Same thing with musicians. You're not just paying for their performance up on stage. You're paying for all the hard work prior to being up on that stage. Oh, absolutely. And, and just the hard work of trying to get to that stage. Right. You don't know what it takes to get to certain stages. I think I saw, I, I saw a meme or something once where it was like a coffee cup from Starbucks. It said, took five minutes to make, cost $8.00. And then it showed a CD, took three years to make this much money, you know, this many hours, this cost $10. It's like, you can afford to pay <laughs> and, and help take care of these guys because it's true. And, and I'm not like trying to sound cynical or negative or no, really not. I'm more looking out for the, these uh, other artists that I know that are trying to make it and have a hard time with it. That's why you just have to really hustle hard. You have to, to work harder, you know, fight against it. Yeah. You can have success and it, it can work. And there are places that value you. I know we talked about earlier in the conversation about horrendous gigs, but what venues did you enjoy most playing at? Treated you well? You thought were very professional in Wisconsin? Well, there's a bunch of them. The first place I will mention and will always mention was the first place I really got started with this new material. And that was Lineman's River West Inn. 
Jim and Marty, the second you walk in there, you can tell that they value every single musician that's in that place. So first and foremost, shout out to those guys. Love them to death. We actually played there before they built the new stage in the back of the... We played on the bar. That little corner. Yeah. I love it. There's such a great vibe about that. Actually, a lot of the River West places, uh, same thing, treat you really well, really care about you. So what's another place? Well, certainly some of the breweries around Wisconsin. Three Sheeps Brewing in Sheboygan, Door County Brewing up in Bailey's Harbor, Mojo Rosa's up in Door County. There's a distillery down in the Fifth Ward, and now I can't think of it. I feel horrible about that. Uh, it's such a good place. If I think of it, I'll say it. And you know what else treats you well? Are, are just There's certain... Not necessarily the venue that's hosted. Sometimes they just host, but there's bookers. Uh, we've had such great people that have booked us for things. Andrew Milam, uh, Thea Voris, uh, who booked us for ACA. Just some people that they treat you well from the start. They honor you for who you are and what you, what you bring. Um, there's a lot of that. There's so, so many good people. One of the best shows I've ever played, uh, and there are pros at treating you well we did play we did play the miller light stage at Summerfest a couple years ago with the 90s band and uh we were going to do it again with the 90s and the original band this year but i look forward to it because of how well they treat you too it's not only an amazing venue obviously sound wise and experience wise but they also treat you really well doesn't matter if you're a, you know a huge band or just somebody coming in like a cover band yeah they treated you great and i think most of my experience has been that way been really treated well by these people lots of great venues out there but i would think that you've also had places where they didn't treat you well or not professional not to put out names out there but did you see red flags before you decided to play there that you could mention so people would go oh that's a red flag maybe i should think twice before signing a contract to play at this place yeah i don't i don't usually sign the contract until after i make sure there's no red flags i i would say most of the red flags that come my way are pretty early on in the emailing or con phone contact process. You, you can get a gauge pretty quickly. And oftentimes, it'll come when discussing fee because you can gauge really quickly about what you're actually being asked to be there for. Is when it's, hey, we love you. We'd love for you to come. Oh, but we need you to, to book two other bands. This is just something that actually happened. Wow. Uh, we'll have you a four-hour show. It's all yours. We'll provide the sound system and the light. You book. You bring two other bands and um, bring a sound guy, uh, and we'll basically pay you nothing. And so, in that, I'm I'm saying, so you want us to put together an event for you, sans the equipment in your building. You want us to bring in two whole other bands, which could potentially be 15 people total with our band too. And you want me to bring these people to spend hours here and then give them nothing for it. And that's a huge red flag. Yeah. You immediately go, well, I am not going to be working with you. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and <laughs> you want me to name names? No, I was going to say, so that's definitely a big red flag. Any other red flags that you can think of that you've been seeing over the years? Um, not a whole lot. I, I'd say I've been pretty lucky, and I, I do a lot of vetting by talking to other bands that I know that have played other shows at certain venues and say, how, how did they treat you? How, how was it? Did it work out okay? Yeah, 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 it was good. So then you you feel better going into the process. And um, I'd say the only other time I had an interesting experience was uh, there was a um, there was a venue that 
they had, I think, multiple people booking multiple different things. Um, so sometimes there would be a like a poetry reading or a um, just sort of a mini play put on, and uh, or like a quartet would come in, and they had double booked us. And it was thankfully it was just it was an acoustic thing. I was playing with a guy uh, Zach Petrini. We were sharing the night. Uh, he would play, I would play. He would play, I would play. And we had done it before, no problems. This time around, he played his hour set. I went up to do my hour. We we're going to be there for four. I got about three songs in, and they came up to me and said, uh, "You have to leave now." What? This jazz quartet is here to play. <laughs> I said, uh, "We're booked for four hours." Yeah. Uh, we're booked until like one a.m. or something like that. Which I I'm getting too old to play those anyway. But we wound up having to leave, and I was I was pretty steamed because yeah. just that's bad business. And in the end, it was fine. I didn't want to overreact because the guy that booked us it hadn't heard that this other person was booking this other thing. And but at the same venue, of some friends of ours uh, were playing a show in their theater. And we were going to play in the same theater a week later. And we found out that when they got there, they were told that they had sound equipment at the theater, but they really didn't. And then they got, they were doing an album release and they got about an hour, not even an hour into it. And they said, yeah, you guys will have to leave because we have this other thing booked here. We didn't realize. So they had to cut their album release short, which is just. Oh, man. And we were doing our album release there a week later for Solace. And in the end, it was fine. Yeah. And it, we, I, it was fine because I called our guy there and said, I need a guarantee of, of this many hours and that we're good to go. And they were fine with it. He, we, they worked it out. I think it wasn't so much red flags in um, mismanagement. It was just that they were just beginning. Okay. And I think it was just poor, poor communication. Right. But those types of things aren't, aren't the things you want to think about as you're going in. So I call it a bad experience, but I think it was also a very big learning experience for me on how to communicate well mm -hmm. and say what I needed. And then also for that venue to know we need to communicate with ourselves better than we're doing. So it worked out fine in the yeah, end, and they're good people. As I wrap this up, what's on your playlist right now? Like, what are, are you listening to that you feel deserve to be recognized that you don't think is getting enough recognition? Oh, as far as local? Sure. Or is that, if you're asking what's on my playlist, I just bought um, Springsteen's new album. And I bought Tom Petty's re-release of Wildflowers. So those are always on my playlist. Excellent. Yeah, I, I got those too. As far as what's not being listened to right now? Um, you know, I don't know, because I, I feel like people are listening to a lot. I really love uh, the new Isbell album, Reunions. And then uh, my friend Tim, who's uh, in Blind Fiction, uh, his band put out an album, Overlook, last year. That's phenomenal. I love that album. Zach, my friend Zach Petrini, put out a uh, an EP, the Nashville EP. Great album. Worth checking both of those bands out. You can go to their websites. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the stuff... Uh, on my playlist, I listen to a lot of local friends. Uh, I also listen to some of these old things. I, favorite album I think of all time is Nebraska, and and uh, so I, I just, I, I mean, I can't even say that. That's probably not true. There's, it goes back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> but um, my playlist tends to be kind of this weird, like going way back, and then I'll come to the stuff that's all local and new, with every once in a while throwing a couple of tunes from uh, an artist like Jason Isbell. I don't know. I, it's hard to answer that question because I'm always listening to anything I can get. Well, that's fine. I mean, that's helpful. It just gets, you know, some locals out there, hopefully, more listens. So actually, there is one, too. That my, a friend of mine, Anya Elise, is putting out a new, a new EP 
uh, it's coming out sometime in the next month or so, within a month. Cool. And it's it's looking really good. This is her first album. I'm really excited about it. It's, she played me a, a tune from it the other day, and it, it's beautiful. Sounds great. Pre-ordered already. Awesome. Work-life balance. How are you balancing your music with your family life? Yeah, uh, that took a couple of years to figure out. I'm still working on it. It takes a lot of communication with uh, the woman who married me, <laughs> put up with me. I, um, I'm being very clear about my goals and her goals and the family's goals. And then, you know, I... I'm a, I hustle, so I'll, I'll work any jobs I can to make this life work. And I'm fortunate because of the connections I've made. I, I work for a great organization called Wisconsin Music Ventures. I think you talked to Allison. Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah. So she's my boss. I get to work with her and a phenomenal organization. I work with the patrons that are coming in. So if anyone's interested in being a patron with Wisconsin Music Ventures, you know, go to the website, check it out. I'll be in contact with them. But So I, I'm fortunate in that I can do that from wherever I am. And then I also, I, I do part-time as a special ed TA at a high school. That's just until noon every morning. Okay. So I, I, I make it work, you know, and I enjoy it. It's, it's fun kind of getting away from everything. But I found that being a musician and obviously teaching lessons mm-hmm. and knowing what I've learned about this business has lent itself really well to education, has lent itself really well to working with Wisconsin Music Ventures, being able to. So it's almost like it's one whole career to me because I can encourage people and, and help them grow. And uh, I always enjoyed that part. I wanted to share that, you know. Maybe they can avoid some mistakes I made along the way. Doing a, a data entry job for a while, which was great. People um, brought in good income, but when I might, I could increase my hours at Wisconsin Music Ventures, it was like, okay, that's got to go because it's not connected. Right, right, right. Well, Ben, I really appreciate you being on. This was a great conversation. I learned a lot. I Hopefully our listeners learned a lot and Hopefully they go and check out your upcoming album and your Solace album. It's been it's been a blast. It's been an honor. I really appreciate you uh, letting me come on here and kind of. Hopefully I'm not sounding too cynical. Here. No, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, I think sometimes people try to sweeten something too much. You know what I mean? It's like they try to make it look too nice. I think people should actually see it for what it really is. Yeah, it's it's the business. It's life, and you work hard, and you just do the best you can to be a good person. You're yeah. gonna have success, right? Absolutely. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great week. Too. Well, there's a conversation with Ben. Hope you guys learned a lot. Hope um, hope you get to listen to his music on any streaming service that you use. And when this pandemic is finally under control, we can go out and see all these great local musicians that uh, you've been able to hear about here on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. I'd like to thank Nate Wyckoff for creating the music for the podcast and Dean Bundy for our intro voiceover. I would like to thank ZTF Studio for sponsoring the podcast. That's ztfstudio.com for any information on recording and mixing your next project. Also, thanks to Jacob at cwhiphop.com. That's cwhiphop.com. They are broadcasting our podcast on their online radio station. So thanks to Jacob for that. Well, here is the new single from Ben. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thanks. So it's a song called Just a Ghost. So why don't you tell us about the song? What's it about? Just a Ghost uh, came about sort of as a writing experiment. So my drummer, Joe, is also the producer of this album. And he has been working in the music business for a long time. And he suggested I basically sit down with a Bruce Springsteen book that (laughs) showed all of his lyrics from like 72 to 2017. And it was a bit of an experiment. 
in writing narratively, which I hadn't done a whole lot of in the past. And um, I started thinking about this idea of, of my mom raising four kids on her own and people like that who she wanted to be an artist, wanted to be a musician, but she kind of gave that up so that we could have a little bit of a good life. And in doing that, she sort of became this ghost of who she was. So this song was written as sort of this tribute to people who have done this, given up of themselves so that other people could have a life and in so doing they kind of become a shell or a ghost of who they were. It's not the end of the story but I wanted to focus on that one part of the story and so that's the song came out of that. So oh. 